Greetings. This is Larry D. Giles. You haven't heard from me in a little while. <laughs> I'm not quite sure, except I have been writing in my absence. Actually, some of the things I'm writing for this current book, all of them are not quite suitable for reading. Um, so I have to pick and choose kind of what I'm going to read just because they are not suitable for reading or recording does not mean that they are not valuable. Anyway, this piece I'm reading mostly because of the recent fire that occurred in Tappahannock. And this piece, uh, this vignette, uh, takes place mostly in the town of Tappahannock during the 50s and 60s. It kind of presents what the little town was like at that time for African-Americans. Of course, then we were called colored, I think. Um, and added with that is the story of a grandmother and a grandson who make sacrifices for each other. I am the grandson. The piece is about 30 minutes long, kind of lengthy, but I think it's um, worth it, and I hope I'll have the stamina to finish reading it. Um, believe it or not, reading something of this length and recording it without making a lot of mistakes is, uh, is not all that easy, so let's see what happens. This piece is called A Dream of Windows from the boy beside the woods. Nothing excited us more than when my grandmother got out her hat and if she laid her gloves on the dresser beside the window, we knew she meant business. It was also a sure bet for sugar and cake, mostly because she rarely wore either, and often we borrowed sugar from the neighbors. By the time I was eight, my grandfather or the eldest aunt did most of the shopping. True, mostly because there was no longer a car, and my grandfather could ride in his white neighbor boss man's truck. So when my grandmother did go out and some other ride was obtained or my father was around when he wasn't courting, we knew that would be a lot more than eggs and starch. That was not the only reason the whole house simmered. If it was Thursday or Friday night when she announced her intentions, the entire house sloshed. Each finger that was sticky turned to cleanliness and the dream of going. Like Christmas or the carnival, kitchen windows lifted and perked, hair teased up and pressed, legs smooched down with jerkins. What time would she leave? And would Clanks or Mr. Beverly take her? Which of the youngest would go? Patting the glove before the window, my grandmother wouldn't say a word till morning. 
I think for once she knew she had us. And we would do all kinds of somersaults or sit like dead people to please her. In fact, she may have grown even quieter than usual, her lips curling in on themselves like she was hiding a fan from the 3rd of April. <laughs> Sewing on her bed, the hat box down from the top of the wardrobe, Either she couldn't decide who would be Santa or she knew the expectancy would blow our hearts up like balloons. In there and wash your feet, she said, knowing for once she wouldn't have to come in to settle anything. You in the kitchen by the window. Clean as buckets, we dried every bowl and polished every cup. <laughs> climbed up on every dresser and dusted like old maids and houseboys. Even the little drunk man on the dresser we sober up while my grandfather sat back in the armchair, counting all the old and new things he suddenly found in his wallet. He was happy as a melon with all the leaves pushed under a flap. Come in bright and early, he said as though it was nothing, hardly able to contain the crop. Beds were suddenly careful and coy, pillows lay soft, barely a toe or nail in anyone's mouth, and tipsy or sober, the middle uncle stayed on his side of the bed. Prayers prayed themselves, clocks were set, shirts, touched around the neck to make sure the sleeves were up on time. Nudging a more likely, a less likely dream, he would have chosen mice happy and peered. In this reverie that lasted like a celebration in heaven, the youngest aunts and I, maybe an uncle who hadn't grown too mannish, would finally get up the next morning before either of my grandparents to help with the basin water and breakfast. In the way, really, the smart uncle said, because he really thought he should go. And when everything was done and hurriedly eaten, we watched her put on her white beads in the marble mirror and denim blue dress with the big white dots. We knew the dress and bees meant something only a mother with great experience could attend to. And so she put out the last of the scrapple and the little pillbox hat with the big pearl hat pin and finally made the announcement. Bob, you coming? She finally announced as though asking. I was Bob. Of course, too old to ride anywhere with anyone except the roughnecks he went with anyway. The smart uncle was outdone. Bring them jerseys, he groaned over the scissors. Then he groaned again. It was more like a threat. He was always wanting jerseys. He knew his father had no intention of buying them. Get the kind with the brown cuff, not the black and white, white cow spots. And then I think he forgot she was going. He was somewhere cutting hair on the porch and swearing and up the road accepting some dare not worth a penny. Uncle Ben had a frog in his throat 
and ha-ha, that's what the smart uncle called her, laughed about it. She also couldn't sit still in the car. The river would move, and so would she, snaking a finger over the high seat toward my grandmother, who was flowered up like a bag of potatoes, softly baking by the window. For just this moment, she didn't care what her sister-in-law said. Neither did I. We were in our element, the air from the river spilling through the roll-down windows, and no man or anybody to tell us anything. At least that's what Ha-Ha said. Grandfather had decided to stay home, and my grandmother's hands softly kneaded the booty a white beaded satchel that had plans to try to work a few miracles. We worked them like lawyers with papers, first by the statue of the Confederate soldier with the big foot, then by the bank with the wide, unfamiliar steps we never went up, peeping and clucking and looking, sometimes maybe a little sad, sometimes bright as a new Lincoln penny. We went... The ladies at the courthouse looked, though I wasn't sure they were supposed to look, their children pulling them by the legs and arms and pecking like pink chickens at the garters of their stockings. By the huge tree in the courtyard they lighted for Christmas, grandmother talked to some real pretty ladies up from Hustle, and I think old ugly Mr. Miltone, whose granddaughter my father was courting or more they talked to her and she said uh-huh and you reckon that right and don't you look right nice this morning in that plaid shirt even when she was happiest my grandmother was still like molasses i think i was like molasses but the hungry lady sopped it up with bread white as biscuits got every bone in his mama's body also efforts who you down here with, Shuggy? My grandmother, though never liking anything too much except maybe church, liked the five and ten in Western Auto as much as I did, though she frowned a little at the prices. In one far back corner, a boy's shirt caught her attention, but she put it back when she caught, when I caught her looking. And closer to the front windows, once or twice the starch and talcum that were very high, also caught her attention. But the starch was the kind she liked with the head of an Indian, so she added it to the two bars of Oxidol and the brown Vicks. Looking official with a tag, a lady before the huge glass windows expanded the entire storefront and showed the lighted street smiled or something like a smile. A toy wound up to run, but suddenly stopping at some invisible counter corner. Two more cents, Miss Jenny. My grandmother had it. The fields we sharecropped were in. How's Geneva? The icebox turned refrigerator caught her eye across the street before the river. It sat on a floor that slanted down to the huge window where we stood gazing into the chilly mouth of a freezer where there was a plastic ham and pie ready for the oven. My grandmother didn't say anything, but I knew she loved it. 
Hers was poorly cooling, she had said, and one of the dots in her dress got bigger and a sunny bead chuckled. Nosing out, a white man the size of a fork came to the door to look at her, but she grabbed me by the hand and off we went past the barber's spinning sickle, the store we never entered because nobody ever entered it. There were several other look-and-see windows, but the main stop was still ahead. The store that had everything and my grandfather's favorite, Mr. George H. Dero's Grocery and Dry Goods. How could I forget next to it a long counter like at the carnival, the hot dog shop of the Pasigalupis or something like that, where she bought me a hot dog with relish and mustard, which I lopped down like collie, except I kept the very heel with the nerve to look at, <laughs> till the sister-in-law got out of the car in front of the shop and said, put that nasty napkin in the trash. Then she went off somewhere talking to herself or anyone who came by while my great uncle, I think he was my great uncle, sat in the car and smoked his pipe. From the windows, the smoke came out in little puffs, like a fire that had been burning quietly for years. Didn't care much about what women or anybody did, so as long as they did it, as long as they did it, made me want another hot dog so I could hold on forever to the very end. <laughs> the storekeeper wasn't a nub, however. He was a giant. I kind of knew him from the Saturdays, just my grandfather and I went with our neighbor. He was a nice man, I think, but also maybe he wasn't a nice man. I wasn't sure. I think he wanted to see my grandfather or someone who looked like my grandfather because he had come to the store from years back, even before my grandfather got married. A tall man coughed and slid the ladder across the high shelves and got as busy and unbusy as a beaver when we came in. It didn't matter to my grandmother, so it didn't matter to me, because in the window by the tall door was the little tractor I wanted. I had just enough money to buy it. I saved the quarters my grandfather gave me for doing just about anything. <laughs> Nickels from my great aunt's store people gave me for doing the mashed potatoes. <laughs> I loved that tractor so much I wanted to cry. The little wheels with the shiny realms. The tiny stick shift with the silver head. My grandmother called me over to let me read because the produce list which broke the spell and caused the tall pink man to hunch up his shoulders a little like Goliath and put a little harder, pull a little harder on the ladder because it was sticking or something. And later, my bluing and beans were more like bees, but he finally softened with three more cans of mackerel, and Grandmother had taken the list the smart aunt wrote to read the rest. She could barely make it out as well as I. The penmanship immaculate as brown onion gravy. It was a long list that made a cough turn into chocolate. He double, double bagged everything and polished the counter down with a rag to boot, then asked if she was coming next 
Saturday, I think this is going to make me cry, while telling the lady in the dry goods section. She had a customer. My grandmother kind of smiled, but she didn't think so. The arthritis, that is. And she was having some trouble with her stomach, she said. That's why she was going over to the other side where the dry goods were and told me to stay with the groceries, which I guarded like the sheriff as though I had bought them, watching the eyes of the potatoes, the peas on the can, the big brown bear on the bottle of molasses, rich even without my mother and father. Leaving the curtains, I saw her admire. The little woman who was my grandmother returned pretty shortly with a bag she didn't let me look into. Church, she said, and closed it quickly. Still, I thought it could have been the jersey gloves the smart uncle had asked her to bring him, but the bag was bigger. Above the bag, which seemed to delight her so much, she expelled a deep, long breath. My grandmother's eyes also had dimmed a little from something she remembered from the other side. Gathering the bag, she finally told me, it was the kitchen curtains she had wanted, the gold ones with the little black holes. There was an opening like a sash in her heart. Ain't nothing but plastic, she counted, but they would look mighty nice looking out over the woodpile and the pear tree. I thought of the ones that were there. They had gathered a couple of splinters catching in the sucked-out air. Next time, she said, or maybe when Willie come, after another picking. We left the store, feeling a little like something had closed. And maybe we would never return. Even the giant looked funny. Suddenly it was my last chance. Can I get it? Please, I asked, rolling up into the car. I never asked for anything. Maybe always, but especially after my parents separated, I was kind of a room that wouldn't open. A window. The air could be still and tight, and neither the refrigerator or stove worked. But this one time I did ask, even from the back seat of the car, the little tractor was still looking at me, kind of like my mother's face, which maybe I hadn't seen in a year. But I also forgot it as I went back through the tall door. A breeze came over me like washing my feet by the kitchen window. What's a boy like you doing looking at curtains, the tall man asked. The grocer, gruffly and nearly strangling. He was on the other side of the store where he had grown even taller, also coughing like someone who was dying from something. I don't think he was talking to me. He was talking to someone maybe he didn't know, someone maybe in another town along the river, someone who didn't know the quiet lady who looked like an Indian and had disappeared by the little tractor and was sitting rather happily except for the cranky sister-in-law in her brother's car. I didn't answer, but felt a rush all the same, like a field burning before a window. And from my back pocket, I gave him every last glowing penny.
with the windows still down and my heart swirling with many secrets, the ride up the hill past the river to the farmhouse was a whir of everything. Friday nights, happiness, wonderment, will I go, love, even sorrow. After all, my lucky dad's quarters and nickels were gone. But along the back seat, which the air pooled and opened near the last eager turn for what was becoming my home, my grandmother's bag looked open, and there I saw it, her secret love, ready for many Sundays, the long white sleeve, trying to dance and move. Thank you.